Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift coding journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Alex Tomoykin. Alex is the founder and CEO of The Right Balance, where they help startups with web and mobile apps. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks. Thanks, Gary. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> We're super happy to have you. So how are you right now? Pretty, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. How are you? Uh, I'm excellent. So where are you right now? So I'm in Santa Monica, very sunny Santa Monica, uh, Santa Monica, Los Angeles County. Yeah, we're blessed to, I'm also in Los Angeles, so we're blessed to be, uh, be in LA with the great weather. That's true. That's true. Especially uh, that I'm from Russia originally. And this time around, it's, the weather is completely different there. It's probably cold. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely happy to be in uh, sunny Southern California, as one of my professors always used to say. Mm -hmm. So uh, why Santa Monica? Is that where Right Balance is located? That's true. So we are located in Santa Monica. We are a local. Um, and um, I myself live in Santa Monica, too. And actually, most of our clients are there also in west side of L.A. So basically, it's uh, here, Venice, uh, Culver City. Um, yeah, so that's why Santa Monica. I think it's a great place, um, great place to live. Um, and there's a lot of uh, great opportunities here. So it's a good place to live and it's a good, good place to work as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't live in Santa Monica, but I've been trying to come out there a lot more. You know, there's that whole Silicon Beach movement. Um, I actually live in Hollywood, but when I first started getting into the whole tech scene, uh, naturally, I had to, to go to Santa Monica. And yeah, it's really exciting. I actually want to move there uh, if I can sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, you should. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, I also run Coco Heads, uh, Coco Heads LA meetup. And our meetup is primarily on the west side. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of tech uh, stuff here on the west side. There's a lot of tech companies. There's a lot of developers who live here. There's a lot of um, you know tech entrepreneurs and even non-tech entrepreneurs. So Santa Monica and Venice and um, you know like what is called the Silicon Beach basically becomes sort of like a tech tech hub of LA. And I'm pretty excited to be part of it. Right. Yeah. So for actually a little bit of background, we met at Coco Heads. I came to one of the Coco Heads at Tinder, I think it was, but we didn't actually meet at that time. I came to Coco Heads at Pivotal and you talked about test driven development. And um, I think Joey was like, hey, you know, you got to you guys got to meet. And then we ended up, you know, talking and kind of going from there, talking about collaboration, actually, a lot between our meetups. Um, for the listeners that might not know, I, I run Learn Swift LA. And so um, Alex and I were talking about how there should be more collaboration amongst the Apple tech uh, development related meetups. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and you actually came through, you and Johnny actually came through huge on my last meetup uh, where um, I found out later, you know, I had to ask you guys and then I found out later you sent emails to your members about the big meetup uh, I had with Yareev at General Assembly in Santa Monica with the Twitter dev team. And um, after you guys sent out those emails, my RSVPs went up so huge. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Always happy to help. So 
uh, tell me a little bit about Right Balance. Like, give me a, an idea of um, a project that you maybe have been working on recently. Um, yeah, just give us an example or maybe a typical project. Sure. So um, we work on, um, well, we've worked on a variety of different projects. So we do um, web and we do mobile. So primarily iOS these days. And um, there are several projects that we are working on. Mostly it's iOS apps, actually. Um, so iOS applications for different industries. Um, and this is um, like there's a variety of different kinds of them. Uh, everything starting from personal apps for personal use all the way to like very complicated social networks with a lot of traffic. Um, so that's the beauty of iOS itself and mobile uh, in general that you can take it in a variety of different ways. So, like with that device in your pocket, you can pretty much, um, you know, make almost like I wouldn't say any, but most of the aspects of a daily life easier. And that's what we do. So we uh, have several projects in flight right now, um, and most of them are iOS apps, and we have a couple of web projects as well. So yeah, so that's awesome. What kind of like um, uh, specifically would you like to know about the project that we're working maybe, on? Maybe maybe when we uh, start moving on to the next section, when we talk about Swift, we can talk about like a Swift specific project that you might be working on. I know I asked you recently. Um, you know, how much you've been working with Swift and you said you're actually on a Swift project right now. So maybe mm -hmm. um, we could start talking about that. But before we do, I want to give um, some of our listeners an understanding of actually what you do, because not everybody knows. Uh, a lot of the, our, our you know listeners maybe are new to this. And so you're what they would call like a consultancy, right? I, I mean, I know actually a lot about this stuff, but I never really, I don't understand exactly like what is a consultancy? How does it work? There's some, some are big, some are small. You know, kind of give us an idea of uh, what your your job is like in terms of like the different types of developer. You can work for a company, you can be a, an indie, you can work for an agency. Right. So software consultancy is basically a firm um, or an individual. Um, so there's also a case where a firm might consist of one individual, uh, which is not the case with the right balance. So we... So it's a firm who you go to and you hire uh, people to build software for you. So that's a software okay. consultancy. And okay, cool. uh, that's what the right balance is. It's basically we are four developers. Uh, we are all local um, and we are all senior level. So we have over 40 years of experience uh, collectively in the team. So that means that every one of us uh, has about a decade of experience. And we uh, work with uh, primarily startups. And uh, when I say startups, our um, you know, audience and uh, people who we mostly work with is uh, pre-series A startups. Uh, you know, we even work with self-funded startups. So for example, if you have an idea, um, but you yourself is not are not technical, but you know um, the field pretty well and you have a pretty good grasp about this particular business opportunity, uh, we would be happy to you know, work with you to um, outline the first initial MVP version. And we usually work with our clients, so we uh, come up with a version that is very, very slim, but we can get it on the market and start getting feedback. And um, some of our projects, um, because of our approach, we slim it down uh, that well. Um, so we build a very, very bare minimum, what we call a core functionality, that uh, MVP can even be self-funded. 
Um, so we, you know, basically structured in a way so we can get the project going. And uh, some of our clients, after they uh, bootstrap their own uh, applications or self-funded it or found funding, um, they can raise money on a lot better terms. Um, because when you already have a project in flight, when you have an um, audience where you're already iterating and proving, like you prove that your idea works, uh, at that point you can raise money on a lot better terms rather than yes. going to an investor and just, um, you know, with the, you know, PowerPoint presentation and uh, presenting something that doesn't exist yet. So that's, cool. that's um, our uh, kind of like, you know, our one part of our uh, clients and another part of our clients is basically more well-established startups. Um, when startups are more well-established, they need, uh, their needs are different. And that's where we offer uh, staff augmentation services. So you already um, saw my talk on test-driven development. Um, and uh, for example, uh, you know, a lot of like a, companies who already established themselves, but they are scaling, they need staff augmentation. So staff augmentation is where we come in and we augment the existing team. So with startups who are, you know, a little bit post, uh, I would say series A stage, they already have their own team in house and they need some help with um, basically getting the test infrastructure in place, start writing good code and, um, you know, introducing best practices. And this is where we st help start up on that stage too. Okay, so we cool. augment their team and work with them to transfer our extensive knowledge uh, about iOS or, you know, any backend development or even web development as well. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, I can see how I remember when I was first getting into this, I had no programming experience and I went into some startup weekends or you know some hackathons and um, it was someone that sort of felt like a, an idea person and to have met someone like you I can see how it would help to make my dreams come true well okay so thank you so much for explaining all that and talking about the right balance and the type of work that you guys do and so now what I want to do is just learn about Alex who is Alex um, I looked at your Twitter uh, bio actually let me pull it out right now um, and I love it I love looking at people's uh, Twitter bios Founder, uh, CEO, RightBalance.io, open source contributor, mentor, speaker, book author. And, and actually, I hope to go through uh, some of those if we have time and, and talk about those. But how did, um, you know, where did Alex come from and how did Alex, uh, you know, how did you <laughs> become, uh, you know, where you are right now? A lot of our listeners, maybe you're going through a transition or maybe they're actually your peer. But we all are really interested on how um, developers like you became, you know, who you are and how you got to where you are. So can you kind of take us to the beginning? Um, were you born with a, a keyboard and mouse like in your hand? Or right. Was it something that kind of took some time? A uh, little bit of time. So um, I'm from Russia originally. So I'm Russian. Um, I was born in Russia um, and I started coding in fifth grade of elementary school and I've been doing it ever since. So somewhere um, basically in fifth grade of elementary school, I signed up for a class. I think it's called, it was called informatics class and they were teaching us how to program in a language called uh, basic. And wow. yeah, that was a long time ago. And since then, uh, well, at that point, the home computer concept was not super popular, especially in Russia. So home, com like computers were not at home uh, as popular as now. 
but there were computers in school. So that's where I got involved. And that's where I can basically, um, well, I was always fascinated by um, computers and what they can do for humanity. And since then, I started getting into it more and more and more. I continued, I started working on my own projects. I got my master's degree in telecommunication engineering. And also I finished Institute of Information Technology with a major in computer science in parallel. Um, but where it really took off is, I think it's in 2005 or 2006, where I started working for a um, large software consultancy in Russia. And we were doing um, software for Motorola. So Motorola was our big, one of our biggest clients. If you remember Motorola Razor, those. Yeah, of course. That was, the, that was like the last phone I had before my iPhone. Yep. So we were doing uh, software for uh, that for those phones, and since then I did um, a lot of. Uh, well, I worked with a variety of different companies um, in a variety of different stacks, technical stacks. So everything from low level, uh, you know, raw C, uh, basically C plus plus, so under a Unix platform. Um, all the way to more high-level languages and platforms like uh, C-Sharp, Java, um, so JavaScript, Ruby on Rails, uh, now Swift, you know, Objective-C. So I've done a lot of different, uh, you know, I've, a lot of different projects for in variety of different platforms. So when I moved into the United States in 2010, um, that's where I started growing in a leadership capacity. So at that point. Um, I started, um, you know, being involved in Ruby community. Um, I started, um, you know, growing in the leadership capacity in terms of running teams. I started, um, you know, running, you know, teams of people. So first small teams of maybe two, three developers and all the way to like, you know, big teams of eight full-time developers. And uh, at some point I realized that um, even though I'm leveling up on my technical skills, um, I myself, uh, so that this approach, uh, self-focused approach, can only go that far. And what do you mean by that, self-focused? Well, self. So if I focus only on my skills, uh, technical skills, and if I only spend time on level, on basically leveling up uh, on technical side for me as an individual only, that means that I um, can only bring um, so much to this world in terms of my skills. Right. So I myself as a human being can uh, only affect uh, the world, you know, in, in limited way. But if I can teach people how to get on the same level, that's where this approach scales a lot better. And together we can accomplish more. I love that. So at some point I realized that and that's where I started getting involved in, uh, you know, meetups. I organized um, several meetups. I organized a couple of LA Ruby meetups, uh, SoCal AngularJS meetup. And now I'm running Cocoa Heads LA, which is uh, the LA branch of Cocoa Heads. And Cocoa Heads is the international organization of Mac and iOS developers. I also wrote a book. Uh, for non-technical people to get the ball rolling with programming. So it's strictly geared towards people who never wrote any single line of code. And by the end of reading this book, you uh, will basically, um, you know, build a, a basic uh, web application. And uh, this, you know, the, the book that I have, uh, it's available online. You can read it for free. It's on startprogrammingnowbook.com. And uh, also you can buy it if you want to, 
read it on an iPad, on an iPhone, or you want to have a PDF with you. Uh, but it's available, you know, for uh, for people to read for free. So that's my uh, basically contribution back to the community. Also, I'm really big on open source. I feel like um, open source community gave me a lot and I'm happy to contribute back. And that's actually one of the uh, things that we do at the right balance. We regularly contribute back to the open source world. Uh, every one of us already contribute to open source uh, quite a lot before even joining the right balance. But now, um, you know, we started a couple of our, um, our open source projects that help us uh, in our day-to-day -day, uh, job that everybody else can use. And we will continue, uh, you know, doing, doing that going forward. So um, that's where also I started uh, growing in a sort of like a uh, management capacity where I started um, basically found, like started, you know, creating teams in different organizations. So I helped a couple of companies to migrate from software consultancy in-house and hire the team in-house. And uh, recently I has been, have been a CTO of a small startup here in Santa Monica called Thinkalike. And after that, um, that's where I started the right balance. So the reason why I started the right balance uh, is because the right balance's mission um, contributes to my lifetime mission. So my lifetime mission is to improve humanity using technology. So uh, and also this what that. yeah that's what we also believe in the right balance so we believe that uh, humans um, you know they what really evolves humanity as a kind is not uh, you know physic like humans don't don't evolve physically they evolve by building tools around them so we launch like rockets in the sky we you know impl like uh, use different devices and that's what Computers gets us forward. in our pocket Yep, that's exactly what it is. And our contribution is to, uh, we write software for people. We make the world a better place. Uh, and also we uh, help uh, bigger companies to get on the right path in order to build better products in the right way. And if we help, uh, you know, companies to do that, that means that they can build better products that are used by millions of people. So that, that way we kind of contribute to, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of like a big audience of people improve their lives as well so okay so so that was a beautiful journey you just took us on from the fifth grade that's right to your first job to coming to the u.s and moving from self-focused to a teacher um to writing a book to talking about open source and um and think and then think alike and then now right balance and I will definitely link to you know all of those um, in the show notes, um, especially the book, and uh, hopefully we can actually talk about a couple more of those in depth. But I want to back up for a second and talk about the fifth grade because I think I also read that somewhere on your bio. So that was obviously a very important part because you remember the fifth uh -huh. grade. Yep. And so can you just give us uh, just a minute or so about exactly what was going through your mind because when I was in the fifth grade, I don't remember being attracted to computers that much. I mean, I remember maybe, I don't know if it was the fifth grade, but I remember like using my computer at home, playing with word art, like Windows 95, and then maybe 10th grade, like going into a computer programming class and the teacher saying C++ and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then <laughs> I, I didn't go beyond the first day. And I'm wondering like what, what was going on maybe just some people were attracted to it at that time and some people were not or they didn't realize it 
now I'm totally am and or I completely realize I'm I'm just consumed with all this stuff. But what was going through your mind uh, right at that time in the, in the fifth grade? I mean, how did you know? Oh, um, basically, like there were no there was no computers in uh, at home, but there were there were computers at school. So I went to school um, and there was a, like a whole entire class filled with computers and the computers like, you know, you, you couldn't find them anywhere else. And that's where I started interested, uh, being interested in what computers are and what is that, you know, you know, tower with some metal in it and, uh, you know, a screen. And there were like screens with the, you know, mostly blue color. Um, oh, there were even ones with the green, you know. <laughs> so at that point, I, I was not sure, like, what what is that thing and what is it used for? So once I started getting into it and, uh, you know, I learned that, okay, there are files, there's other file system, there are executables, and you can launch this program and that program. Uh, well, the first thing that got caught my attention, of course, were was video games, right? So at that point, um, when I learned, okay, I can actually play games here, this is great. And uh, my teacher, he was a very smart dude. So he basically figured it out and he set up a structure in the way that if you learn about programming you get the plan you get a chance to play video games in there and there was no other place to play video games unless um, you are coming from a wealthy family that can afford a home computer so that kind of got me going and that's where I figured out okay I can learn this stuff uh, that somehow relates to actually what I like to do which is playing video games um, and later on, this whole curriculum was shifted towards um, using programs themselves as, um, you know, like, um, you know, more of like, you know, spread for doing something more um, practical in different areas. For example, putting together documents and spreadsheets and doing some calculations. And I started going over to those too. And uh, that combined with uh, programming languages that kind of uh, showed me that, okay, look, so what you're doing right now, it's very useful, but here's how you can actually uh, produce that software that does those uh, you know, useful things. And that itself kind of laid down the pretty good foundation uh, where later on I started, um, as I said before, doing my own projects. And, um, you know, later on I started involved, involved in music and that's where I, you know, did my personal website and um, so technology was always part of my life and it was accompanying pretty much every single activity, like not every single one, but most of the activities that I did. And that's how, um, you know, basically this whole process evolved. So maybe it's obvious, but I think it's really awesome. The first thing you said was computers at school. And then somewhere in between there, you said teacher. You know, you mentioned a teacher uh -huh. or like a, a mentor. And then earlier you mentioned uh, how you became a teacher. And so I just think it's great for us to take notice of that. And I'm doing this in, in my own life with my own community in Learn Swift LA and now Swift Coders where, you know, we're giving back and we're teaching. Um, and uh, one of my cousins actually is a teacher at a, a school, I think like in somewhere in South LA. And I'm reaching out to him. And I just think it's, it's good for us to take notice of that is, uh, access to to whatever the tool is, so computers at school in this case, mm -hmm. and good teachers. And, and um, I don't know, I think it's just awesome that that LA has someone like you who who's aware of that 
And I think there's just going to be more and more of us. Um, you know, it's, it's really powerful stuff. Yeah, so, I'm really happy to be here because um, LA itself um, is has so much potential in terms of uh, the use of the technology. And um, also, you know, I teach uh, mobile development at General Assembly. So it's a 12-week 12, 12 uh, part-time mobile development course. I also teach uh, workshops there. So I, I think... General Assembly. Yeah. It's Shout a, out to General Assembly. Yes. Thank you so much for hosting uh, Learn Swift LA and Swift Coders last Wednesday. Yep. So yeah, I, LA um, itself is a great platform for technology. I mean, there's a lot of um, other uh, industries in LA, um, you know, entertainment industry, banking industry, and there's a lot of them. But um, technology specifically, there's, um, you know, a good pool of talent. And plus, um, there are there's a lot of companies and there's a lot of, um, you know, things that we can do in LA. So before we switch gears, I want to ask you a question on coding in general and my guess is it's your passion um you've been coding for a really long time uh is it it, it must have been a passion right when you mm -hmm. first started out is it still a passion um obviously it's a job for you too uh can you talk a little bit about that um coding as a job co versus a passion and if it is a passion uh if you do love coding what do you love about it because for me it's new it's a passion now. I have a lot of excitement for the fact that it can be a job and it is a job for me uh, right now. And I'm hoping it continues to be a passion and I, I stay excited. But for me, the simplest way for me to explain why I love coding is because it's the perfect way for me to express my intellectual and creative side. It, it fires those cylinders, the creative and intellectual um, cylinders of my um, you know, mind and body. So can you talk a little bit about that for you? Sure. So coding is something that I uh, still enjoy. I think coding, to be quite honest, this is the most um, part which I enjoy the most about everything about, you know, software industry altogether. So coding is still in the center of what I do. Um, and I code a lot, uh, even these days, even if I, uh, you know, run a software consultancy right now, I still code with the team. So I'm still, you know, on the battlefield with my troops. Um, I'm still in the project. So what I like about coding is that I can, um, similar to what you said, I can create things. I can, uh, and what I really, really like about coding, coding is not so much about uh, time put in, but more about your intelligence and your way of approaching things. So you can put, uh, you know, eight hours into something um, and m maybe there's a lot of interruptions during this eight hour time, or you can spend like focused, maybe two or three solid hours and uh, apply all your previous experience or, you know, different uh, ways of thinking to accomplish the same thing in, in like, you can build it in a better way by utilizing your experience or basically being smart. And that's what I like about this. It's not, you know, just do X, Y, and Z and you will get X. Or, you know, you just do this, this, and that and you will get something else. Uh, coding ha is, is a detail-oriented activity and there's so many details. And there's uh, a lot of different ways how we can put it together. And I like that this is ne a never-ending process. 
uh, where, for example, I've been doing, you know, very low level coding in like C and even assembly. Uh, now we are using more of high level languages, uh, you know, like uh, Swift. Um, and the amount of stuff that happens underneath it uh, is, you know, pretty big. And it is very exciting to see, well, it's very exciting for me to, you know, accomplish, constantly involve my coding skills in terms of my goal is to accomplish more in less time or accomplish greater quality in the same time. Um, in other words, efficiency. I really value efficiency. And this process is just never ending. It's never ending mastery. And that's what kind of excites me. I create great things. I level up myself. And um, on top of that, engineering thinking is something that um, is very useful in life. So you see a lot of technical entrepreneurs, uh, for example, people who started companies uh, and they're coming from a technical background, they apply that engineering thinking in you know, building businesses. Um, and you can recognize uh, several people in whatever they do, if they have this engineering mindset, um, they apply those kind of principles to the daily life, to you know, other uh, places in life. And those things also become very, very efficient. So this is why coding is uh, something that I really, really enjoy. I love that. Uh, I remember it reminds me of law school. I'm not sure if you, you know, but I, I went to law school. I'm actually a licensed attorney. But when I was in law school, I had a friend who seemed like he didn't study. He, oh, he was always at the social event, always had a smile on his face. And I asked him, I said, and he got excellent grades and he's working for an amazing firm. And I asked him, I said, what's going on? Because I was at the, the, you know, the uh, library all the time studying. So what's going on? And he's like, man, I just study smart. So I like what you're saying. It's uh, For me, I'm at the stage where I'm enjoying the, the TDM and, and I don't look at it that way because I'm, I'm in my you know, early stages of iOS development uh, working with Swift. But yeah, I understand for someone like you, that's like you're at the Ferrari level, like kind of tuning your, your engine in these interesting ways where you can get like, you can eke out these efficiencies in all these different places. That's awesome. But yeah, so for me, um, you know, I'm still in the, in the, the place where I enjoy taking my time. I actually, I need to slow down sometimes because I can get impatient and I can want to just quickly hit that run button and see my results as opposed to slowing down, reading the documentation and uh, really making sure I'm understanding uh, what I'm what I'm working on and what I'm learning. Yep. Yep. So now I want to talk to you about your experience with Swift. So, you know, our listeners, we want to hear about, you know, why you're learning it, uh, what you like, what you don't like, uh, how you're going about learning it, any tips and tricks you might have. And so uh, the first thing we want to start with is, uh, you're uh, come from an Objective C. I mean, you have a lot of experience with different languages, but you have experience with Objective C, uh, correct? I do. Yep. So, so and Swift has only been out for not even t what two years now. Um, Some around that. Yep. 2014. So yeah, it'll be almost two years in June. Um, so you know, how long? When did you move from Objective C to Swift? Did you jump right on the bandwagon right when it was released in 2014? Or um, did it take some time? How did you transition? Because a lot of our listeners actually are Objective-C developers still. So when did you kind of make that switch? Yeah, so let me see. So when, 
when did I make this switch? That's a very good question. June so, 2014, right? It was released at Dub Dub, and um, I, I, I remember trying to learn Objective-C January 2014, and I was like, this is hard. I have no programming experience. Um, so when it came out in, in June 2014, that was like a, a blessing. Yeah, this is actually exactly where, um, you know, uh, when I got into Swift, Swift development. So um, at that time, I was working on um, and like a pure Objective-C app. So it was an Objective-C application and it was um, somewhere, you know, beginning of 2014. So we got this application done. And at that point, um, that's where I started forming the, you know, in-house team. Uh, to support this application itself. And that's where, you know, Swift start coming out. And at that point, I basically look into this uh, and I looked at Objective-C itself. And uh, it was super obvious to me that Swift is going to be the winner long run. And right. at that point, uh, Swift was very, very new. And I have a talk uh, called Starting New App in Swift. Uh, this, uh, I gave that talk on LA Swift, on the LA Swift meetup. Uh, somewhere in August of 2015. Is that recorded? It is recorded. Yep, there's a there's a video presentation and there's also uh, I uploaded slides for that okay. talk. Awesome. We'll definitely have to link to that. Yep, there I'll send you the link after uh, we record it. So at that point, um, that's exactly what this talk was about. That we had an Objective C app and we really really want to start writing Swift. Um, so and. Basically, our strategy was uh, because to our strategy to do that was um, uh, to migrate to Swift in uh, small little chunks. So, and that's exactly what we started doing. So, when the Swift actually came out, um, we oh yeah, not only we had this old Objective C app, we also started a new app around August. And at that point, we were debating whether we should really get the beta X code and start writing the whole entire new app in Swift. Um, where, uh, and then when the time comes, um, we, when basically the stable uh, version of Xcode drops, we can upgrade and then we can submit the app, you know, pure Swift app, uh, all, to the app store, all the way to the App Store. Um, but what we did, we started app in Objective-C in August of 2015. And um, the reason why we did that, because we developed, we started developing an app in Xcode 6.4, I guess. I don't remember what exactly was the version at that time. But uh, we started developing an app in Objective-C because that's um, the latest stable version of Xcode could only support that. Uh, and the latest stable version of Xcode at that time did not support Swift. So we started developing the app in Objective-C. And then uh, when the stable version of Swift came out later, uh, you know, this fall of 2015, that's where we upgraded and we started writing uh, Swift, new code in Swift, and we started slowly transitioning our Objective-C code into Swift. So that was a pretty interesting time because at that point, nobody really knew Swift. Um, so Swift was new, right? So we all read that book uh, that Apple came up with. The Swift reference book. Yep. And at that point, we had a bunch of Objective-C and we started writing, you know, getting into, uh, you know, understanding how the bridging header works, how, you know, this forward declaration works. And at that point, it also, you know, had certain bugs, like any software that you release first time in the world. Um, so this was, you know, challenging. But at, at the same point, 
that's where I started realizing, or once we started rewriting certain pieces from Objective-C into Swift, it was night and day because the same uh, file, the Objective-C file that we rewrote in Swift uh, was 30% was 30 smaller. So let's say we have 100 lines of Objective-C, we can rewrite it in 70 lines of Swift. And also it's, it reads better. Uh, the language is a lot more expressive. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot left, less, um, um, I would say, it, it reads a lot better because there's less basically symbols and less uh, more. I think the word they use is a verbosity or verbose. Um, it's less verbose. I've heard people describe it. It is less verbose, definitely. Um, you know, also there's no, um, it, it is more familiar, I would say, to uh, any other language uh, that I've used before where it follows the, you know, the dot notation for everything, for methods and for properties. I love dot notation. Yep, it's, it's pretty, pretty obvious what's happening. Um, you know, it follows the class and class declaration and inheritance. So like, it's basically this, like, you can accomplish the same thing in Objective-C. The only thing in Objective-C, it is done in some sort of um, unique fashion because Objective-C is sort of like a unique language where uh, even parameters are kind of like a part of the function name. There are square brackets and semicolons, and that itself creates a lot of, uh, I would say, it, like you said, verbosity, but also the language constructs themselves, they make, uh, you know, code look, like, I would say, slightly harder to understand than understanding the same code written in Swift. And at that point, you know, it was clearly that um, uh, Swift is going to be the winner in the long run. Uh, Apple started promoting Swift a lot. There was, uh, you know, Swift started getting traction. There's a lot of, there was a lot of developers uh, who started writing and blogging about Swift. And at that point, um, that's where uh, we started writing more and more Swift and going through those challenges. And uh, after that, we started starting new apps in Swift. And that was pretty exciting. And Right now, uh, we have two types of projects at the right balance. Uh, so greenfield apps, we start with Swift, you know, right away. So if there's a new app, this app will be on 100% Swift. Um, or if the, you know, there are existing apps that have Objective-C in them, we start writing new code in Swift and then slowly, you know, uh, refactoring certain pieces of Objective-C into Swift as needed. Like, you don't want to get into the rabbit hole of, um, you know, refactoring all Objective-C code in Swift because at that point it will take, it might take a significant amount of time and we'll also make sure that delivery is happening we deliver features so we kind of do it as we see fit. Um, but the amount of Swift, we probably, you know, at this point write, um, I wouldn't say, like, I need to, you know, I would need to, to take a look at the data to understand how much Swift we write and how much Objective-C. But the amount of Swift that we write today is pretty significant. That's awesome. Yep. I think that you have an interesting perspective. You have uh, decade years of experience programming, multiple languages, but at the same time, uh, you're you're not stuck in any old way. You practice, you know, um, TDD, test-driven development, and, and other progressive new type um, concepts. and, and you sort of, in a way, you didn't go headfirst into Swift, but you're a pioneer. It's like you're kind of an explorer, a pioneer. We're, we are like some of the first people kind of working with Swift because there's a lot of Objective-C developers or people coming from other languages 
but especially Objective-C developers who are kind of hesitant. And so I think that perspective is really interesting. Um, so I want you to talk about that like the, a little bit more, the perspective of an Objective-C developer moving, um, either moving production Objective-C code to Swift or just as a company or as a team, um, the thought process uh, or the benefits of moving from Objective-C uh, to Swift or even even and like what advice you might have for someone going from objective c to swift or even just new people who are either new to programming or you know n n new to just a non-ios um you know language like why they should move to swift but i think the objective c to to swift um you know that perspective you have is really interesting i think there's a lot of programmers out there objective c programmers that could benefit from the insight that you have so okay, so I've heard two major questions. One of them is what are the advantages of using Swift, and another way, uh, question is how we get there, right? Yeah. So I think like uh, talk a little bit about a little more about your experience from going from Objective C to Swift. You mentioned that, and I think at the very least, I think that is really interesting, and and there's a lot of Objective C developers that could benefit from your insight. Right. Um, I spoke to many. Um, iOS developers. So, and there's there are different reasons why people are hesitant. Uh, you know, they don't want to use Swift uh, yet. Some of those, um, I would say, reasons are because uh, Objective C is some uh, is a tool that um, you know some of the developers might use for years and. They're very, very efficient at Objective-C and they can, you know, write a lot of functionality in Objective-C. But then when they jump into Swift, A, they need to learn another language uh, that takes some time. Uh, but then also migrating from Objective-C into Swift and making them play nicely uh, is another challenge. So at that point, I, I see several, that's, this is one of the reasons. Uh, another reason is that um, you know Swift is changing a lot, and that this is true. Um, Apple updates um, you know Swift pretty significantly, but also Swift is now open source, so you can see what's coming. You can see what um, proposals are there, uh, which proposals are accepted, which proposals are implemented, and you can yourself actually affect. Uh, the direction where Swift is going because Swift itself is open source or for example if you have um, any question or if you are not sure about something you can even look in the code um, so at this point um, I think most of those concerns um, can be addressed so um, it is obvious that Apple is pushing for Swift Objective-C of course is not going to go away but um, right. you know learning a new language this is something that you pretty much have to do in, if you are a software developer. So I've seen that technological stacks, um, which is basically you know, a group of languages and frameworks uh, needed to serve a particular system, changes like all the way to the end uh, every five years. So every five years, every single technology changes. So five years ago, everybody, uh, you know, uh, probably 10 years ago, a lot of people were writing C, C++ and uh, doing all this kind of like low level stuff development. Right now, um, 10 years later, we are now um, probably even earlier than that. So now, but several years later now, everybody writes, 
Android apps mostly and iOS apps. And now, um, you know, iOS was Objective-C, now it's turned into Swift. Um, and before there was a lot of low-level C, C++ development. Right now, um, we also have Android, which is a different platform that uh, we write code in Java. So what I'm saying is that if you're a software developer, you pretty much have to learn a language. Like I, I, the rule of thumb that I follow, you need to learn one new language every year. Interesting. Like whatever this language is, um, you know, for example, if you're a software developer, if you primarily develop iOS apps, at some point, well, first of all, you needed to learn Objective-C, now you need to learn Swift. At some point, you'll need to come up with some sort of an automation on top of your uh, build process. So you, you will need to either learn Bash or, you know, do some um, other, use some other language for automation. When you say automation, like testing? Uh, basically for the build process, let's, let's say you want to, you know, build uh, one sort of app, but from the same code base, you want to build an app in a slightly different way. You want to build an app for running on the CI server or build an app to push to production, push to staging. So um, in that case, you will need to write some sort of different automation scripts that uh, potentially can inject different parameters in the build process. Um, or, for example, uh, at some point you will need to use core data uh, to start persisting stuff. Uh, at that point, you'll need to understand, um, although core data does a lot of job, uh, like a lot of good job in automating and abstracting um, away the complexity of a SQL database, but you will still need to learn what the SQL database is and how, you know, uh, tables relate to each other, how to build relationships. You basically will need to learn the, what's that, the data definition language and DDL and DML, data manipulation language. So you need to learn those kind of things too. So there's no way how you can just get away from one language and keep coding for a decade unless you want to get stuck in 90s. Right, right. So when you first started learning Swift, what came easy? What was something that you just, I, mean, I guess you mentioned dot, syntax what were some of the things that came easy even though you were you know working with other languages i think one thing that came very easy for me personally was um i would say like a like 80 20 rule where like you know 20 percent of uh, swift constructs they do 80 percent of the job like everything from you know inheritance uh you know de declaring uh you know the classes themselves uh all the uh the, well the dot notation uh came naturally so if cases uh so if uh statements switch statements like the control flow yeah control flow for loops uh variables constants so all of that stuff came very easy um, optionals is something that is very, I would say, new, and I wouldn't say it's unique because there are similar concepts in our languages, but um, definitely Swift has a sort of like a interesting uh, and unique way of implementing optionals. And this is something that, um, you know, I didn't say I'll struggle with, but this is something that I need to spend some time learning. And also this is something that I uh, needed to... Um, spend some extra time explaining to my students when I taught them exactly. mobile development. I agree. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I understand optionals, um, but yeah, there's always more to learn, um, especially as it relates to control flow 
Um, and when you're teaching people optionals, it's, it's always funny. You know, I try to explain about the box, you know, there's a box and it's an optional box and, uh, there's something inside, but the type is an optional. Um, yeah, definitely. So that was one of the things that, I mean, I'm sure there was other things that came maybe not as natural or that were difficult, but that was one of the things that took a little bit, not more time, but wasn't as easy. Yeah. So Swift itself, um, the thing that I really like about this is that seems like Swift was a comp like at least the initial concepts of it were composed of strong features of all other like I would say all but most popular languages. Um, I see some of the things that coming from uh, some of the parts of JavaScript, some of parts of the you know Python, Ruby, um, and a lot of those uh, high level, um, very elegantly designed languages. And um, on top of that. Um, you know, Swift is compiled, which is great. So it runs fast. Um, although they are still, you know, improving the compiler and uh, they're making it better so it compiles faster. But at the end of the day, it compiles into the, like raw binary code that, you know, that right. will be very fast executing. So I think that it came naturally because um, I, you know, was familiar with all those other languages. And the, what, the thing that I really like about Swift is very, it's very nicely designed. Um, so uh, a lot of language constructs help you to avoid uh, simple programming pitfalls. For example, um, off the bat, I mean, I probably cannot really remember specific cases, but well, I mean, specific cases is like is an optional, right? So uh, some of the classes of issues that definitely happen in Objective C, and it's really you know tough to kind of uh, remember about all of them will not be problems in in Swift. So if you, for example, try to call uh, a, a method on an optional uh, class of an instance of an optional instance of a class, the compiler will tell you that, hey, this is an optional. You either need to unwrap it, um, you know, and there are different ways to unwrap it, but you cannot just, you know, call uh, a method on an instance of an optional class. And this is itself is very big. You know, Xcode offers you suggestions, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but at least Xcode, the compiler itself will fail if you do something wrong. And that's what is something that I really, really like. And I think that that itself leads to more quality code and, um, you know, avoiding those pitfalls. And itself, it kind of leads to more quality and kind of less code uh, that achieves more quality. That for me, it's like very, very exciting. Yeah, uh, less code is always, I mean, not, not always good, but uh, right, the less code we have to write, less bugs possibly we can insert into our application. I mean, when I first get, uh, got started um, developing for iOS, uh, you know, using Swift, it was such a blessing to be able to work with this language yep. going from just the first, like, I think I tried to work with Objective-C for like seven days and then to see Swift, it's like, it's, I feel like, it, I was to invent a language, it would be at least like Swift. Um, and I, I think it'll probably get even more uh, expressive and more uh, English-like or more like a normal natural language. Yep. Um, okay, so whenever you want to go to learn something new, you know, there's so many resources out there. Uh, and I think Swift is like, you know, a very popular language on Stack Overflow. 
Um, there's you know, obviously Google, Stack Overflow, there's Apple Docs, there's tutorials, there's videos, there's WWDC videos. Uh, when you want to learn something new, uh, what do you do? How do you go about it? I mean, I guess it, it might depend on what you want to learn, but what's your favorite way to learn uh, a new Swift language feature or something related to the application of the language? So Apple Docs are pretty good. They go in a lot of details about, um, you know, about the mechanics of the language itself. And I like reading them. Uh, seems like every time I have one question, like specific question about how to do a certain thing, I find a doc and I end up reading the whole entire doc where I not only understand how I do this stuff, but also um, how this particular part works with references to all the related parts and how they work. So for me, Apple Docs are very, very um, valuable source of information. And of course, I mean, WWDC Talks and the community itself is very, very big. So what I like about growing Swift community, there's a lot of, um, there's growing number of answers on Stack Overflow. Um, and also there's um, a lot of blog posts that uh, come out pretty regularly, like all over the place. And this is great because not on, like Apple can give you sort of like, uh, you know, a recommended way of doing something or, um, you know, they can communicate to you the way they want you to do stuff or how th certain things work under the hood. Uh, but I think like that knowledge in combination with practical experience of other uh, developers, that's what kind of, uh, that, that's what I personally use to learn new language features. All right, cool. So I'm a very community-focused person, and now that Swift is open source, I have a natural desire to want to be a part of the community and contribute to the open source project. Uh, but I really don't know how to get started, and I'm already so caught up with just trying to learn Swift and learn iOS development that I feel like you know I don't really have time. And I, I mean, I need to I need to first learn how to get started. Um, have you? thought about contributing are you already contributing to the swift open source project or um you know ha have you are you keeping up to date at all with that or can you speak on that at all so do you mean contributing to swift uh you know as a like on itself? github yeah exactly on um for instance either on github um, to the open source project or even participating in the evolution. I think there's like an evolution mailing list where people can discuss, make proposals on where the language should go, anything like that. Yeah, so um, the way I approach, um, well, actually, like I work with a variety of different developers. Um, so I've seen different approaches where people subscribe to mailing list and they actively, you know, read through this. And it is very important to understand what's coming and what direction uh, you know, Swift evolution takes. So the way I personally approach it is uh, from a practical point of view. So I code a lot in Swift and if I see something that could be improved or something that doesn't make sense, I start researching whether there is a proposal uh, on basically on GitHub like that or a similar proposal or, uh, you know, if there is no proposal, of course, I will create it. But so far, um, I've seen, you know, pretty good proposals already uh, created. Uh, there was one proposal that I wanted to make, but then I realized that it something that um, they, 
Apple was, was already aware of, and this is something that is coming in the next version of Swift. Um, so this is the way I approach it. And that's, um, I mean, not necessarily no. that will work for every single person because, um, you know, a lot of people approach it from the other angle. They subscribe to the mailing list and they kind of uh, participate in all those discussions and they kind of try to think about how we can evolve the language going forward. But what I do, I do it mostly from a practical point of view because if this is something that I will benefit at the moment, uh, you know, with, this is something that for me is worth talking about rather than, right. uh, you know, thinking hypothetically, if we would improve that, that might have some effect. So this for me is, for me personally, is less practically beneficial approach. Right. Okay, cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're about reaching the end and I have a couple uh, segments left. And uh, the first is recent tweets. And uh, so I just want to go through some of your recent tweets. Uh, we actually already talked about one of them. It's technically not a recent one, but it's your pinned tweet uh, for your start, program, uh, start programming now uh, with your free ebook, which you can get at startprogrammingnowbook.com. And, you know, I can, I can link that below. So we kind of already mentioned that. So the next one I want to talk to you about, uh, or at least see if you want to talk a little bit about it, is on January 22nd, 2016, we're excited to help to launch uh, DUS, mm -hmm. is that DUS, DUS app. Um, this was a project, it sounds like you worked on with the DUS founders um, through Right Balance. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, just, you know, maybe a, a minute or two. Yeah, sure. So first of all, thank you, um, you know, thanks to you because I appreciate that you're, um, you know, willing to kind of, sh uh, Talk, talk about those things so yeah, definitely yeah we uh post so first of all we have a blog uh which is right balance io slash blog um and we also promote it on our social media on twitter we have a facebook page um and we have a linkedin company that's where we share our updates and we also have a blog and twitter so um thus is a very dust yeah thus i think you say thus uh okay so uh, it's spelled D-U-S. Right. So it's a, uh, it's an app that helps uh, to meet other South Asians. So it's a very niche dating application. Cool. And um, two founders, um, they are basically, they, they, they bootstrapped the app themselves and they came to us um, to asking to help um, to get the app to the stable place. So the app was already there. It was written mostly in Objective-C and there was a lot of bugs within the app. And uh, there was a marketing push and uh, launch date already scheduled. And at that point, what we did, we helped to get the app in a stable place. Uh, we started, um, you know, the app itself had no tests and we started uh, slowly covering it with test uh, cases where we fix a particular bug and it doesn't come up later. Um, so there was a lot of, um, this is another example of an Objective-C app uh, where we started writing new code in Swift and refactoring some of the old code in Swift um, to make basically us more efficient in writing new features. So we added several features, we you know fixed a lot of bugs and uh, we got it to a stable launchable place and now uh, DAS itself is launched and now they're, you know, they're, they just closed the next round of funding. So it is, very exciting to see uh, something, you know, materializing 
you know, from an idea all the way to a live app that um, has user attractions and it has the future. So we're really excited to help us to launch. Awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So this is now the sad part of the the show where we have to come to an end. I wish that you and I could just continue talking forever. And for sure, we're going to have you back on in the future. And of course, we're going to see each other soon. Uh, But before we end, I just want to find out where people can contact you online. Uh, So just go ahead and give us your, you know, Twitter handle or website or however you want people, if it's okay, uh, for people to contact you with whatever questions they might have. Sure. So the main place is writebalance.io, which is our website. So um, this is where you can go and check out who we are and what we do. Um, So the site itself has a blog, so you can uh, see the updates there. So uh, Twitter, we have a Twitter, which is uh, writebalance underscore. Uh, And uh, also we have, um, as I said, the uh, Facebook page um, and a LinkedIn page for the Right Balance as well. But the central place is our website. So if you can go on our website, rightbalance.io, uh, this is where you can learn most about you know, the team, about what we do, see our um, you know, past projects, our clients, our work, our open source contributions. Uh, and if you have any questions or you need some help with uh, a mobile app or a web app, you can shoot me an email at alex at rightbalance.io. Awesome. So the very last question, it's not actually a question, but it's the very last part. One piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. The one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Um, Well, so Swift is something, um, you know, I would say relatively new language. And um, there's, um, I've seen a lot of fear uh, for especially from people who knows Objective-C uh, very well and he doesn't who doesn't want to give it away so my my advice have no fear so just literally just go dive in uh, start writing Swift uh, and start participating in the community and that's the way how a you will learn Swift yourself and that's the way how we together collectively will innovate I love that have no fear and you even mentioned community again, full circle. I love that. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us, giving us your time uh, from me, the whole Swift Coders community. Uh, Alex Tomoykin, thank you so much for having us. And yeah, I look forward to speaking with you again. Likewise, yeah, thanks for putting it all together. Uh, and uh, you know, let me know if I can help promote it. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Go swiftly, my friends.